Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. So welcome to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very specific, a very different subject to ones that we've covered before. 360-degree feedback has been used in organizations for many, many years now, and I would suggest is a very effective, a very powerful tool. It's also, to be fair, sometimes had a bad rep, normally in terms of how the process has actually been used, uh, how follow-up and feedback has been provided or not, as the case may be. So we're going to get into the meat of 360 feedback today and understand if I'm thinking of using it or if we do use it in my organization, how do I do it well? What are the best practices? Now, who can help us with this? Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by Colin Newbold. Now, Colin is the founder of TLC Online, which is a learning and development organization that's had over 25 years of experience in leadership development, especially in 360 and in coaching. Colin, welcome to Multisite Masters. Thank you very much, Lee. It's great to have you on board today. Now, I appreciate not everybody will be too clear exactly what 360 feedback is. We shouldn't assume that everybody has gone through a program. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to explain what 360 is. But perhaps before we could do that, just give us 90 seconds or so about you. Give us a bit of your history and the context about what you've done. Yeah, sure. Well, I've spent almost 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry. I was in marketing and then in sales and latterly in sales management. I guess the top of that ladder was managing um, about 120 people for Glaxo, the sales force for Glaxo, not not long before they merged into uh, GSK as they are now. Um, And all of that really taught me how important training and coaching was and I treasured my days out on the road with reps mm. uh, I used to do the curbside counseling bit after the you know each call so when I wanted to start my own thing which I, I did in 1991 I formed the learning curve and our emphasis when we started was just on um, sales manager training and coaching yeah. but I was lucky enough to become an associate tutor at Henley Management School in those early years and then I mm. was joined by Nikki Nikki Farrow in the mid-90s Now, she was an experienced HRD professional. She's also a qualified psychotherapist. So she slowly took the business into the leadership development space. And that's when I first came across the uh, transformative power of 360. Um, And we started TLC Online in 2000. And then last year, uh, Nikki took over the managing directorship of the original company so that I could focus all of my energies uh, on the online company and our flagship brand, which is Click360. Now, obviously, I mentioned 360, and you've just mentioned it again. For those who may not be aware, essentially, what is a 360 program that an organization might run? Well, it comes back to a basic premise, which is how you see yourself as a leader or as a manager. It's all very well, but but it's kind of academic because it's how other people, the people you work alongside, see you that will likely determine the results you're going to get at work. So it's a process by which the individual participant, that's the person at the center of the 360, the one that gets a report at the end, that person 
invites a group of feedback providers, we call them raters for short, um, to give them feedback against a questionnaire that they have also completed. It's like a self-assessment. So they're going to get a comparison at the end uh, as to how they see themselves compared to how the raters see them. And those raters typically fall into categories like the manager, your own line manager, a, a peer group, um, people that work alongside you, similar sort of rank, uh, and also direct reports if you have them, so your own team. Uh, and, and we also encourage the, the um, invitation of people outside the organization, uh, such as customers or suppliers or partner organizations and so on. So when you get the report, which has probably got about the, the amalgamated data of, of 12 other people uh, against your own, you, you can clearly see where you're strong and where you may need to develop. And is there a certain number of people that you need to have in your team? So if I've got a small team of three or four people, does that mean I shouldn't use 360? Um, I would recommend 360 for any organization that has uh, you know, a management structure. So for example, a senior team and maybe a direct report team to those people. Um, who then have direct reports of their own. I, I think it's very important that you, you restrict 360 to individuals who have management responsibility. You know, they have a team reporting to them. And it doesn't really matter whether it's only one or two people uh, or, or 10 or more. But um, yeah, it, it's best reserved for managers and leaders. I see. So people who have management in their job title that just happen to manage a function but don't actually lead a team, you're saying actually it's better to focus on those individuals who do actually manage other people and lead other people to achieve whatever the organisation is designed to do. Yeah, I think the power of 360 is, is you know, what, I mean, one of the, the strongest uh, messages, if you like, that, that comes out of it is how you, your people you manage see you. Um, they're almost unique in that respect. They're, you know, they're going to see you differently, perhaps, to anyone else that you might invite, simply because of the relationship you have as their line manager. So, yeah, it's really important, I think, when you're looking at uh, uh, management development or, or leadership development, to include a 360 element. Okay. Now, you've said already that um, one of the most valuable aspects of doing a 360 is it's giving you that window onto how other people see you, what you say, and what you do. What other reasons might an organization have? What might the context be for why they might introduce a 360 program if they've not done so in the past? Well, I, yeah, the bottom line, I suppose, is, is behavioral change. So an organization that is, is trying to embed a culture of uh, change, you know, maybe giving, receiving feedback, or maybe they've got a brand new set of values they want to embed, or a new leadership standard, or a new competency framework. Those are all good indications for 360, because it tends to underpin all of that, uh, all of those processes, simply because it, it touches so many different people across the organization. Um, for example, if you're trying to embed a, a set of values, a new set of values across the organization, it kind of shows uh, all those people, what good looks like, what finished looks like. It, it also helps display what's important to the organization, to the key stakeholders that lie outside of it. You know, people, for example, who've been asked to contribute to People360s, like partners or, or customers or maybe even suppliers, they get to see what you stand for as an organization. So it's, it's really helpful in, in terms of behavioral change and organizational change. 
Do you find people get confused between, you just mentioned the competency framework there, and you mentioned values. Do you find people often merge the two together? So their competency framework is also their values or vice versa. Do they see a difference between the two? And is there a difference in your view? Uh, well, I think there is a difference, yes, and I think organizations see that, but they very often ask us to, if you like, combine or, or, or somehow integrate both together in a 360 questionnaire. That, that can be done. Um, we, we see the values of an organization as a kind of the golden thread that runs through uh, the questionnaire. So it really does need to be um, somehow embedded in that, in that questionnaire to make it uh, valuable for both you know for, for achieving if you like the um the implementation of both one of the things that in conversations uh, i've had with colin in the past that you said to me that really sort of stuck in my brain was you described the the value of 360 the impact of it is all down to preparation and you talked about it's a bit like gardening or decorating is that preparation is it that lack of preparation that causes poor 360 in organizations or it's either not done well or the system works beautifully but actually the delivery of the feedback is non-existent or people just give them their report and you know get on with it why do you think organizations poorly manage 360 yeah i think all of those things are true um sometimes it, it also comes down to just having the wrong purpose you know some organizations we speak to want to tie the 360 into their performance performance management process and they actually want to use the results to somehow influence an individual's compensation or maybe their career progression um, other times they want to use 360 to fix somebody you know like a, an individual's poor behavior uh, and really none of those work well for 360 in our experience in fact the manager on the naughty step you know should be a contraindication for 360 it just never works there's a much better way of dealing with that kind of situation so it kind of starts further back um than that and and the only truly valid use for 360 is to develop somebody's potential yeah. you know the best circumstances are where the individual participants are genuinely up for development um, but you make a good point. I mean, the, the wrong questionnaire uh, or a poorly written one can contribute to, you know, a really poor experience. Um, somebody, for example, who has, um, uh, you know, not been briefed properly, that, that can lead to a, a failed 360. Uh, if you're lucky, there'll, there'll be some sort of comms sent out by the HR or the L&D team, but so often, uh, the organization in our experience just leads it up to the emails, you know, that are automatically generated by the 360 platform. Yeah. And in our experience, you know, a virtual 60-minute awareness briefing by webinar makes a huge difference to the outcome. And then, you know, you mentioned about reports. Reports are sometimes just sent to participants in some sort of vain hope that they're going to get uh, read uh, and they're going to get analyzed and, and, and interpreted successfully. And then an action plan is going to come out the back end of it. Well, to be honest, um, that doesn't happen. I think you can you can imagine that most of these reports they may they get glanced at perhaps and they get put in a drawer and 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 yet that behaviour still goes on. The most appropriate action in our experience is to offer each participant professional support from a one-to-one -one internal or external coach, you know, to help them guide them if you like through that 360 report and to sort of help them take accountability for building a development plan that, that's going to result in change 
There's a, there's a lot in what you just said there, Colin. I think um, one of the couple of things that really jumped out to me was firstly, have that clear purpose about why you're introducing the 360. And it took me back about 15 years ago, talking to an organization where 360 had only ever been used for that poor performance issue. And mm-hmm. if you were having a 360 done, you kind of knew you were in trouble. Um, and guess what? There's a whole principle and process of 360 had a very, very bad name. Uh, and p- people were you know, frightened to either be the person having it done on them or p- to be taking part in it because they knew they were taking part in someone's performance management, which is which is quite terrifying. Do you see that still happen today, that people want to use it as that, that tool to fix someone? I do indeed. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's slightly more positive than that. that you know, mm-hmm. p- perhaps somebody has been um, earmarked for future leadership potential and and they they're they're being asked to do a 360 for that reason um but i think you're on a bit of a sticky wicket when you actually attempt to isolate one or more individuals in an organization and put them through the process you're much better off putting a cadre of leaders or managers through at the same time a cohort and of course if you if you do that you then uh, get access to aggregated organizational data, what we call organizational insights at the end at the end of it. So yeah, it's it's not a good process uh, for fixing poor performance, even though that does still, uh, you know, I'm getting an inquiry like that, I should think once a month. Um, well, uh, and, and we always we always advise against it. Uh, we look at the bigger picture and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's really, I, I come back to this same, um, you know, this is this is, if you like, my my maxim around 360. The only truly valid use is to develop potential, and the best mm. circumstances are where the individuals going through the process they, they're genuinely up for development. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, they've got to want it. Um, I watched a TED talk some time ago, and a guy, Ernesto Steroli, I think it was, talking about international development, and he made this comment that if someone doesn't want to be developed, leave them alone. And I thought actually that applies to international development, but it applies to L&D personal development as well. If they're not up for it, then everyone's kind of wasting their time. Um, Yeah, and I would say it's it's even more than that, Lee, because somebody like that can really disrupt uh, a 360 process and and can actually start to spoil it for other people who are genuinely up for development. So, yeah, I I think I would absolutely agree with that speaker and and leave them out. (laughs) Okay. One of the things I think that, again, that I picked up from your previous answer, you talked about the importance of briefing people. You mentioned, I think, doing a virtual webinar. Um, When you say briefing people, is it just the participants who you see need to be briefed, but also the people who will be rating or reviewing that those other, the team members, managers, etc., do they need to be briefed too? Well, uh, a lot of organizations want to do both. And we often say to them, you don't need to do both. Um, All all too often, uh, they don't want to do it at all. But uh, those that, that do see the value of uh, some kind of intervention um, want to consider doing it for everyone. And I simply say to them, look, we, we've found much better results from running virtual awareness briefings with just the participants. So they're the people who are going to get the 360 reports. And we coach them within that webinar. We coach them how to have a three to five minute verbal invitation conversation with each of the people they want feedback from, in other words, the raters. Mm-hmm. Now that 
when it comes from them and not from you know HR or, or you know line manager or whatever, when it comes from from the individual, it achieves a much higher rate of engagement and you get better quality comments coming out yeah. of the report, and that is you know going to cost virtually nothing. It's, it takes a little bit of time, yes, but you know there's no cost involved other than that, and you you get much better buy-in. So I would recommend um an awareness brief these are 60 minute sessions um and it makes a huge transformational difference to the outcome of 360s yeah i have to say again colin you really impacted me with the the 360 that uh, mmu does we we won't do a 360 unless that briefing is taking place with the participants um, it doesn't have to be us who have necessarily delivered it, but it, we have to be conscious that it happens and that they've been given that quality introduction to how the process works, why the process is being done. As you've said, the purpose is critical. But then who do I pick as my raters? Um, don't just pick anyone out of the top of your head because you know, guess what? They probably won't be able to answer very effectively many of the questions in it. And I like that point about then a brief conversation that you as the participant have with anyone that you're asking would you be so kind as to give me feedback? Because it makes it more personal, more likely that they will complete it. Um, and I remember myself doing a feedback on someone and then afterwards getting an email, which was a generic email, I'm sure that was sent to everyone, but by the person saying, thank you to everyone who took the time to complete the feedback. Obviously, I don't know who said what, but I'm really grateful for everyone who did. And uh, someone I know who hadn't actually done the feedback, who had, who had done the question but didn't do it, so they actually felt a bit guilty now. They just received this email <laughs> for taking part and they thought, well, I didn't actually do it. So I think that personal touch, beginning and end, can really help to build that kind of credibility to the process and, as you say, increase likelihood that the person will actually do it. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I think you need to be pragmatic as a participant. If if you're having the conversation and the rate is basically pushing back um, and, and gen genuinely can't do it in the time available, then I think, you know, you've got to be pragmatic and just say, OK, no problem. You know, I can find someone else. I do appreciate it. It's a big it's a big ask. Yeah. Um, and, and you need to be prepared to, to move on and choose somebody else if if they just don't have the capacity. Okay, so we've got, you know, here we have Colin on, you're the chief architect of your 360 for TLC online. Now, if I'm a listener and I'm considering using 360 feedback in an organization, I might be working in HR, I might be an ops director who thinks it would be valuable to do with my team. What advice could you give me on what I should do and maybe what also what I shouldn't do in terms of implementing a really effective 360 program in my company? Okay. Um, I'm going to answer the question in a sort of roundabout way, if I may. And the, and the reason for that is that you asked me a question earlier, and it, and it occurs to me that, that, that there's, there's another part of the answer that I didn't give you, and that's all about okay. you know, behavioral change. So if I can just start with that, because we, we have a definition um, of the word behavior. It's very interesting. When I, when I um, do these awareness briefings, I ask people... Um, to tell me what behavior means to them. And I get so many different answers to that. Um, a lot of people never even thought about it. Well, mm -hmm. we have a very simple definition. We, we, we define it as something I do or don't do and or something I say or don't say. That's it. So you know, what mm -hmm. we've noticed is, is that 
you, you can't change someone else. You know, you can't, uh, we can't. Um, you know, despite the growth of digitalization, AI and all the rest of it, I simply don't have the power to zap you from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I just don't have the technology. So only you can zap you. Um, and over the years, we've kind of perfected a, a four-step model for behavioral change. So step one, you or me, you know, we have got to see the need for change. Something needs to happen to wake us up to the possibility for change. And that could be a trigger event like, you know, burning platform, um, or, or it could be a gradual realization that things ain't working for us anymore. Or it could be a 360 report. So I think that's where the power of the 360 comes in. It, it can really wake that person up. But anyway, whatever the trigger, you know, we've got to see the need to change. But anyway, step two, just seeing the need isn't enough because you, I, we, we have to choose to change. We, we, you know, we have to want to, we have to love to, we have to choose to change. And a good coach can help us with that. Um, Step three, you know, okay, we've, we've, we've achieved the first two, we, but we've got to be shown how to change. You know, that might be watching a video for some people. It might be reading a book for others. Um, it just depends on the complexity of the situation. More likely, it will be some form of, you know, formal training or, or, or maybe coaching that will help us discover an alternative way of, of behaving. And then the final step in this model is we have to be supported while changing it's it's like you know lee how, how long do you let your, your one-year-old baby try to walk before you don't let them try anymore <laughs> you know you don't do you? you 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 help them you give them you give them multiple opportunities to practice you hold them by their hands and you show them you support them physically and emotionally when they fall over in, in short you never stop letting your child learn to walk it, it takes as long as it takes for them to achieve that but it's interesting because you know when when you're an adult that all changes especially at work yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's put them on a two-day training course that'll do it yeah um, they'll become much yeah that'll fix them <laughs> and of course you know significant behavioral change in individuals and, and across an organization takes time mm. and, and, and that's another situation where you know one-to-one -one coaching uh, can really help so anyway, so that's a bit of a, a background to, to the question you asked me. But um, I think probably coming back to the, the, the what you know the nub of the question you asked was there is a process that we recommend. It, it, we call it the seven step accelerator, um, and it's broadly split into three parts. So there's a bit that happens before the 360. There's a bit that happens during and, and about the 360, and then there's a bit that happens after. The 360 and these seven steps we've touched on some of them already but if you are embarking uh, on 360 for the first time that first step is all about readiness there's quite a lot to think about you know you've kind of alluded to it as well about how complex <laughs> 360 can be you need to be sure um, as an organization wanting to implement 360 you've got to be sure that your organization is ready for it and you first of all need to be clear about your purpose as we've said you need to be entering um, the process as a development activity not as some kind of assessment you'll need to act very carefully if you're going to try and do it as an assessment it is possible but it's it's not our recommendation on the other hand if your purpose is purely development of your leaders or your managers, then you're much more likely to have a successful outcome. It'll be a smoother journey.
That said, you still need to consider where the 360 sits in relation to all the other things that are going on. For example, your performance management system, performance appraisals and so on. And you also need to think about capability, uh, commitment, especially from the senior team, because one thing I haven't said, 360, uh, as you may imagine, does take quite a bit of time to get right. Um, individuals have to give up perhaps, you know, 30 to 40 minutes to fill in a questionnaire, and that's happening across the organization. So um, it, that takes a lot of commitment. But you also need to think about culture of the organization and the capacity to ensure a meaningful and lasting positive result. I mean, you wouldn't want to introduce it uh, into Carillion at this time, I, I guess. Um, you know, and, and we've even been advised, uh, uh, sorry, we've even advised um, against 360 in, in some circumstances. So that's all about this, this first, it's almost like preparing the soil before you plant your seeds or, you know, preparing your woodwork before you paint. That, that That's so important. Um, step two is all about the questionnaire. And that's something that we haven't really talked about in depth, but you've got to be measuring the right thing. Mm. Um, this comes really right back to your purpose. Uh, and that questionnaire needs to be pretty well written so it's reliable and, and it's got some validity. Um, the best questionnaires in our experience are the ones that are created specifically for you, you know, with the organization. Um, and, and they are specifically built to achieve what you're trying to measure you'll get much better buy-in and you get more meaningful results. And the other thing to say about 360, I think it's often mistaken as a psychometric tool, but it's not, you know, so the rigor of questionnaire design isn't so crucial. Um, alternatively, most 360 providers, ourselves included, we've got off the shelf questionnaires, which may be good enough. And obviously that saves a, 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 a reasonable amount of expense. Um, they've, been carefully put together but they're generic yeah uh, uh, step three is a briefing which we've talked about I don't want to I don't need to say any more about that but it's so important that verbal um, what we do is, is typically by webinar but it is such an important step um, number four is the rating itself now this actually refers to the process of questionnaire completion and of course Lee that we're, we're going to claim that Click360 is the best platform on, on the market. But, you know, the, the truth is there's a lot of 360 tools out there. The marketplace is becoming more and more commoditized. So from me to your listeners, I would encourage uh, listeners to compare different providers, questionnaire interfaces, for example, and choose the one that, that best suits your needs. Most most organizations will will allow you to trial uh, the questionnaire on one person, so it gives you the sense of what it, you know, what what it all looks like, and how easy it is to, uh, you know, to navigate. Um, and then you just choose the one that. Yeah, can mm. I just add to that that my advice to anyone listening also would be talk to companies who don't just talk about exactly what Colin has said. The, the questionnaire uh, construction is critical, but also talk about things that Colin has been already discussing, that importance of the coaching support, the briefing element he just mentioned. If they can't kind of help you with that, I would maybe stay clear. I think there are companies like Collins um, TLC online who get it's not just about the questionnaire itself as important as that is it's the whole holistic piece of the 360 the briefing how people are coached to, to, to make changes and do debrief their reports etc they're, they're the kind of people you want to be talking to people like you guys 
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're blessed in, in the association we have with Nikki's part of the company, the, you know, the original learning curve, which is based uh, you know, around coaching and facilitation. So we have about 80, I think, uh, coaches across Europe, which, which we, can, we, can, we can introduce. Um, I want to say something else about the questionnaire interface because um, it's really all to do with how it displays on a handheld mobile device, you know, because this is how a lot of people are preferring to work mm -hmm. these days. Um, and although most platforms do work, you know, on a smartphone, for instance, they're not generally they're not optimized for mobile like Click360. So another thing to think about, if, if there's the possibility that some raters are going to be asked to complete more than one feedback questionnaire at the same time, then our simultaneous rating feature saves time while improving accuracy. And you know, when you think about it, the people that that's most likely to impact are those who are more senior in the organization. They've been asked to provide feedback to a number of their direct reports, for example, as, as, mm -hmm. the, as the manager. Um, and you know, they're pretty time pressured up there. <laughs> so yeah. to get a, a, an opportunity to do all of these uh, questionnaires on one screen, really makes a difference um, and on our website we've got all sorts of explainer videos that demonstrate what we mean by that um, the fifth step in, in the process are we all right for time Lee I'm prattling on here no that's still good thank you <laughs> um, it's the report now you know it's fairly obvious that all of these tools um, culminate in a report um, some kind of you know assessment of the of the feedback it's all amalgamated and put into bar charts and where comments are, are given they're shown usually uh, sort of ad verbatim um, so yeah the outcome is obviously a, a report but if you're relatively new to the idea of 360 we, we would encourage you to check out the way that different providers report the outcomes of the 360 data um, our latest digital report is optimized for mobile again, but it's also integrated with an interactive workbook. So you've got an action planner in there, you've got learning suggestions in there. So it's designed to be a dynamic report and it's designed to be carried on your smartphone or your tablet and, and, and it's instantly accessible. Now most providers are gonna show you a sample report on request, so it's pretty easy to make a comparison and you know like us their, their websites are probably going to contain doubtless um, mm. uh, you know some sort of uh, screenshots maybe pictures videos of what their reports look like but it's really important to, to make sure the report sort of fits with your expectations and then number f uh, six I think we're at step six here which is um, is it all about the feedback itself mm. because you know as we said earlier just giving somebody a report and hoping that, that they'll magically change uh, is, is pretty unlikely. So to get the best out of a 360, you know, we recommend providing a coach. Um, we've we've said this before, but you know, why a coach? Well, a coach does many things. I think it, first of all, it helps the participant get depth and clarity from their report. Most um, coaches familiar with 360 follow a, um, a pretty robust process in helping the the individual explore and, and discover, um, you know, what the feedback's telling them, and most. 360 providers have got access to coaches so uh, you know we're not unique but we, we do have the the advantage of, of the other company as, as an associate alternatively and this is something that we do more and more actually is, is train people within our 
buying organizations how how to do these these coaching conversations um internally um but we also recommend and i think this is where we might differ from some of the other providers we, we recommend um a two-stage coaching approach where the first session is purely like a 360 debrief where the key headlines are explored so in other words the strengths that are coming out of the report and the areas for development and then and by the way that's a good you know that's a good sequence in which to do there's a good order in which to do this start with strengths and and, and then look for for things that could be different and then the second session takes place a few a few weeks later which is after the participants have had a chance to um so basically to check it out check out the feedback with a selection of their raters um, we coach them how to do that in the first session so that the, the focus of the second session when they come back is on building a robust development plan uh, and in particular how that plan is going to be resourced and implemented and you know we, we've talked about coaching quite a bit but if, if the budget is there to facilitate further coaching sessions over the next few months then that would be hugely beneficial yeah. um, what, what if there is no budget for coaching? I mean, this is something that I'm getting squeezed on more and more um, as you know, L&D budgets get cut. What, what if there is no budget for coaching or even for training line managers? It, it, it's not ideal for the reasons we've already discussed, but you know, I, I would even question whether that organization was, was ready for 360. But it might help your listeners to know that our report has been designed for that possibility so the workbook itself acts as a virtual coach it guides the participant along a sequential pathway that culminates in the development plan so think about all of that it is you know quite complicated the, the, the what happens after a 360 yeah. um, and then we've got one final step which is seven step seven and that's called insights and that really comes back to the reporting aspect so earlier on we talked about individual reports but most 360 providers where, where there's a number of 360s taking place are going to be able to provide you know, aggregated data, in other words, organizational insights that can help you with uh, project resourcing, succession planning, obviously, and yeah, just generalized um, talent management. So there it is. It's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, but very, very useful. And what I would say is for people listening to that, the seven phases or seven steps that Collins just articulated, I think apply whatever, uh, whichever feedback provider you may end up working with. These are really important questions and considerations for you uh, to work out your answer to um, as you go through a process of setting up a 360. Um, there was a lot there that Colin covered, but um, this this model that he just referred to is available on Colin's website. So if you go back to the show notes for this episode, you will find a link to the TLC online website. So you will actually be able to capture one pager of this model that really will help you, I think, to think through all of the steps that, as we said, provide great insight into how do I set up a 360 program that's going to add value and it's going to have an impact, sustainable impact to the business. Um, I suppose my last question, Colin, and you touched upon it near the end there, you said that the workbook itself or the, the feedback report acts as a workbook and acts almost as uh, self-reliant for the, the participant. If I'm an individual and there isn't a big L&D or HR function that's going to be able to support me, there isn't going to be a coach, 
what else can I do? It might be online. Um, there might be other books that I should read. But any other tips that you give me as an individual participant who doesn't have a lot of external support to help them make use of their 360? What else should I be thinking about or doing as the individual participant? Well, first of all, ensure that the participant is up for development. If, if they are, they'll find ways of of making sure they you know they they understand the report. Um, they they interpret it correctly, and a, a good report will be accompanied by a workbook. So even if you don't go for the Click360 digital report where it's integrated, most organisations supply a workbook um, alongside the 360, you know, on request, and and that usually helps them in that sort of journey of self-discovery um, that accompanies the report. Now, the other thing that we recommend, and it, it's really um, built into the way that we implement 360, is, is this, I've referred to it briefly, it's called checking out. And, and it'd be really very easy for the individual to highlight maybe two or three areas for development, things that they want to be doing differently. And then go back to a selection of raises, not everybody, but a selection of raises where they think they can get more depth and clarity. They can actually go back to see that individual and say to them, look, if I was doing this thing, this thing I need to be doing differently, if I was doing it you know, to the very best way it could be done or to the best of my ability, what, what would I actually, this comes back to the behavior definition, what would I actually be saying or doing? Um, or, or, or not saying or not doing, um, you know, in in order for me to be performing at my peak in this respect. And, and the answer to that question can provide, you know, so much more data than just the 360 online tool. So I, I would recommend that they do this with a selection of raters. For example, if you, if you think about your own direct reports, put them into a room, uh, put the two or three different areas for development up on flip charts and in the room and say, look, these are the things that I want to be doing differently. If I was doing those things, you can even have the, what we call the golden question, you can even have it on another flip chart. And you just simply say, if I was doing those things, the very best way they could be done, what would I be doing or not doing or saying or not saying? And, and get the group in that room to brainstorm the answers to those uh, questions for each of the development areas. Leave them alone. Come back after an hour or so, and get the you know get somebody in the team to present back what were the key findings, because those are the specific development actions that need to go into your plan. And all of that can be done on your own. You don't need a coach to uh, to you know to guide you through that. And as a personal anecdote i did something like that many years ago when i'd had a 360 and it was quite uh, nerve-wracking to be fair to go in to my team kind of bare my soul a little bit and say these were my strengths but these were areas of potential limitation for me that i wanted to work on what do you think about what i i'm focusing on what, what i'm planning what i what things i could do to do better but what i found was i got an amazing response from the team which was, you know, they very much appreciated this bearing of the soul, so to speak, and were incredibly supportive. And one of my big comments to them, which has definitely stood the test of time, was I, we might do another 360 in 12 
months' time, whatever. But I, I don't want to wait 12 months to know that you think I'm doing something or saying something different. So just let me know. Just give me a little nudge and say, you know, six weeks ago, you would have said this. You, you didn't now. Or actually, you would never have done that in the past. Now you are. So it kind of gives me that sense of, oh, I can feel I'm making a little bit of progress rather than waiting 12 months to the next 360 to find out that I have or haven't. So I think getting your team engaged at that early stage and getting their um, or raters engaged and getting their views and opinions can be really helpful in getting their buy-in, but also in helping you to know that you're making a difference as you try and implement some of these behavioral changes. Yeah, you know what, Lee, that that um, is such a valuable exercise to do. And in fact, I mean, we 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 call that checking in it's like checking back in because what what you do in the checking out process which is the bit where you you know share the areas for development and get them to answer that question the golden question what you do at the end is you say look is it okay if i touch base with you again in say three months um check in and see how you know, see what you've noticed basically <laughs> uh, you know what's, yeah. what's working what's working better and uh and, and what's not where well, i still need to do some work but can I just say that although, yeah, you're right, it, it can be a bit daunting to do this, um, perhaps less so with your own team. I think it might be more daunting to do it with some of your, for example, external providers. If you've got customers or, or whatever, that, that can be a bit more tricky. But I always come back to this. You know, it, it's really the overall advice I would give any of your listeners if they're starting out with 360 is to select a group of employees that is much more likely to engage with the process. You know, people who are hungry for development. So for example, graduates, we're running a graduate program right now for HS2, HS2 Rail. Um, we would also include some you know, potential leaders or, or high potentials or, you know, fast trackers or whatever you call them in your organization. But those people are genuinely up for development you get some early successes under your belt and then maybe tackle the existing sort of leadership and management structure if you if you do choose to start with the latter you're going to need to do a fair bit of readiness preparation to the most senior management team um in order to make it work and if you can achieve that you know get them to go through it first so they model the way but that would be my recommendation. When you get people who are up for development, all of this becomes so much easier. Absolutely. And as you said, it's I, I described it. It's, I can't zap you. Only you can zap yourself. And uh, you've got to want to, to make that change. Colin, I think it's been incredibly insightful today. Whether I'm an individual listening to this, looking to bring 360 or use 360 more effectively, you've given me a huge amount of food for thought. If I'm an individual going through the process, again, I've got some food to thought about how I best use it. Um, again, just to remind people, if you'd like to contact Colin, if you'd like to talk to uh, TLC online, you'll find the contact details in the show notes for where you found this podcast, your normal podcast provider. But I just want to thank you again for your time today, Colin, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Lee. I really appreciate it and uh, hope your listeners benefit from it. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. 
So a real insight, I think, into the power of 360, but also in particular how to use it well in organizations. I think Colin's seven stages model, which remember you can find on the MMU website to download, it really is a great summation of his thinking that he shared with us today. Um, I think for me, two things stood out from our conversation. Um, they may be obvious, but the first one is just be so crystal clear as to the purpose. Why are you using 360 in the first place? Um, it can be, uh, to Colin's point, quite limited in terms of the ability to fix poor behavior or, or to have a performance management pay system um, linked to it. Really, as ever, the best reason is to ensure you're helping to develop an individual who wants to be developed and who will grasp the tool and the insights the 360 gives them. As Colin said, I believe, only you can zap you. The second point was just that idea of the follow-up, and I like the way Colin describes it, checking out, checking in. It's a process for reviewing with your key stakeholders, your key uh, direct reports. What am I doing? What did I say I was gonna do? And am I actually demonstrating the behaviors uh, that I said I would do? I can't see the point in waiting 9 to 12 months to maybe run a second 360 to find out then if people are seeing the behaviours that you wanted to do more of or perhaps show less of. So if, if you do want to find out more about 360, Colin and TLC can definitely support you and the yeah, contact details, as you know, will be in the show notes. And if I may say, if you're interested in 360 specifically about multi-unit managers, well, MMU, we've developed our own multi-unit manager competency framework and we've recently developed that into an online 360 tool now that's very specific to the multi-unit management role and it's certainly not something you'd use in other roles within the organization thank you again to our producer as ever uh, sam walsh for editing the podcast and of course thank you to you for listening don't forget to rate and leave an art review on itunes or soundcloud when you get a chance we'll love you forever until next time all bye